Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Saturday, February 17th, 2018. I am joined on today's show by PSG Talk contributor John Olangi, and we will be covering PSG's 5-2 victory over Racing Club Strasbourg. We will be reminiscing about PSG's 3-1 loss at the Bernabeu in the first leg of the Champions League round of 16 to Real Madrid, and... At the end of this episode, I will lay out and explain to all of you why the English-speaking football media is indeed broken. So sit down, be humble, grab yourself some popcorn, and let's get on with the show. Um, So let's just get right into it. Joining me today is fellow PSG Talk contributor John Olangi. John, how are you doing on this uh, Saturday afternoon? Uh, it's pretty good. The weather is uh, it's, uh, undecided here in Charlotte where I'm at, but other than that, it's pretty good. Ready to get this going. Well, right now in New York, we're about 38 degrees and sunny, but we're supposed to get about five, six inches of snow tonight, so... Yeah, you never know. <laughs> you, know you never know. It's just that type of weather. So, yeah. just completed was PSG's um, comeback game against our... Uh, Racing Club Strasbourg, they won the game 5-2. John, PSG needed to win this game and really kind of needed to win it convincingly. Offensively, they were pretty convincing. Defensively, they had some lapses. But how do you think overall they responded in this game at home with a favorable crowd at home? I thought it was almost the perfect like match after what transpired at the Bernabeu Wednesday. Um, I thought it was, you know, there was, there was a little shaky. Defense was a little shaky in the first half, kind of just, you know, they were doing their own thing. And uh, as the game went along, you started seeing PSG started getting to their rhythm. And just some things that I noticed were, okay, Emery made three substitutions before 80 minutes, right? And you saw the substitutions that he made came in and actually did something. And uh, I just thought it was it was the perfect rebound rebound game from what happened on Wednesday in terms of the morale of the team and everyone kind of just rallying around each other. Uh, some other things I noticed was like Lachelso was pretty much getting bullied the whole match, uh, which is something we'll probably talk about later as far as what happened against Real Madrid. But uh, that was one thing that I noticed. And Diara. I would say he didn't really have a good match. He was solid, but you have to think he was out there with Lachelso and um, Draxler, where he's pretty much doing all the defensive work. So it was kind of uh, it was kind of deceptive his uh, his performance. Otherwise, I thought it was again it was a good way to bounce back and for the group for the morale of the team to be you know a little bit higher than where it was after the Wednesday's match. I think that. This is just one of those games where PSG felt like, all right, we're going to give up a couple. We're going to we're gonna just go score as many goals as we can. We'll give up a couple, but we'll probably score more than they will. And that's pretty much what happened. So you give up that early goal. I think, I think they did a good job of not sort of letting that snowball any more than it did. They got the equalizer pretty quickly. It was Draxler who I think needs to start um, doing something. And when he gets the chance to play, he's got to, you know, sort of show why he should play. And, 
you kind of contrast that to, you know, despite some things in this game, the way Di Maria has performed going into January and February, where he's sort of put himself in a position where he's kind of gotten out of that sort of Emery purgatory that you end up going into when you're not one of the 11 to 13 guys that he wants to play. And Draxler at this point is pretty much a 15-minute-a-game substitute, which he's, he's a better player than that. And it was nice to see him get a goal there to sort of get some kind of confidence back. and Because he's a really good player, and I think PSG can use him more if they kind of can figure that rotation out. But overall, I was happy. They needed to win. They needed to win by more than one. They needed to score a bunch of goals. They needed to make people happy. And I think most uh, PSG fans will be happy with this result. It puts them at 68 points in the league. That's 12 ahead of their closest competitor, Monaco, who's on 56 after winning on Friday. Um, Neymar today, kind of a... This is like the Neymar-Liga game. And we've seen it now for about 10 to 12 times, so it's starting to become a trend. He kind of eases his way in the first half, isn't really... um, Isn't on the ball as much. He's picking his spots... And then it just seems like in the second half, he just he's just better than everyone else on the field. So the players that defending him that are defending him just kind of get tired. He can kind of run through people. He can kind of keep his possession a little more. A few more of their players are on yellow cards, so they can't really foul him as hard. And he kind of takes over the game. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on sort of his um Liga season not necessarily what happened on Wednesday but how he's sort of eased into this Liga campaign and how he's probably going to be the leading scorer I would think when all is said and done the leading assist man and probably Liga's player of the year yeah I think he's he, like he's kind of seeing what what like what the the, the physicality level is in the uh, I thought, and I honestly think, I honestly thought he underestimated that coming in, and, and whatever his perceptions were, like, that went out the window <laughs> the first month he was there, and now you see he's kind of used to it. He's still getting beat up throughout the entire match. They're just doing whatever they want to him. But like you said, he's building, and when the second half comes, in most of these matches where he's, like, unstoppable, it's like he goes into full attack mode. And it, it brings me to an um, uh, interview that Marshawn Lynch, uh, running back for the Oakland Raiders, well, the Vegas Ra- Raiders, he did a 60-minute interview where he they were talking about his mentality through a game, and he just says, like, run through an MF face, like, just over and over and over and over. And this is what Neymar does, and, and you can tell it's draining for the defenders where he's just, he keeps running, he keeps running, and that can mentally tire out your opponent and I think that's his his advantage and that's what he's been able to do consistently you know with the nutmegs and all the cheeky and trickery stuff but I think he's he's kind of gotten through the the initial you know acknowledging that yes this is a physical league and they're not going to let me do whatever but he's, he's kind of maneuvered through that and evolved a little bit and uh, and it, it, it's it, it's just better for 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 PSG when Neymar is in that attack mode and he's he's doing what he wants. He's setting 
setting up guys and he's getting his own goals. I mean, that one goal he scored today, like that was, I don't know how he did that. So it's just, um, it's, it's, it's something that he's going to get used to. And uh, the, the, the physicality, he's just going to have to get over that part. But yeah. I think he's, uh, it's important that he plays that way and because it's, it's, it's advantage PSG if he plays like that all the time. Yeah, and this goes back to football being such a subjective game and what it's what you what you look for in a player and i think there will be people in some circles who don't think of neymar as highly for a number of reasons whether they be he doesn't um pass the ball enough or whatever whatever it is that they don't like him for but it's pretty obvious that this team needed a player like Neymar, not even just for the value that he brings you off the field, but because this team had trouble scoring last year, and they were a, from for European standards, were a putrid offensive team. Like, they were not good at all. And yeah. I think it was something like they scored a little over a goal a game. And that was in the, whatever, the 38 league games, I think they had like 1.3-something goals a game. Now you have to think their numbers are up past three goals a game. And that's not because they bought Kylian Mbappe. <laughs> that was because they got Neymar. And he's legitimately helped them on the field, and I think he's made some players better. I think it's arguable whether he's made Cavani better or made him worse or minimized his role on the team. And I think what you noticed, and we'll kind of spin this over to the game on Wednesday, I think his um, prominence does sort of diminish Cavani's um, focus. I think he's less of a focus, and he sort of has to play off of guys that want the ball more. But let's just, you know, let's just get to Wednesday. Uh, what did you th- what did you think? I'll give you the floor. What did you your your thoughts on Wednesday? Take as long as you want. Um, I mean it's it's like it's really layered, right? Like I yeah. want to like kind of point out some positives that I saw because it's it's really easy to look at how um you know what we did wrong. I thought in the midfield, uh, Lachelso, aside from with Lachelso, Verratti. And Rabio, they what they did is something we haven't saw, we haven't seen in big European matches with PSG is where our midfield stood up to possibly the best midfield trio in all of football, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't the six one beating at the Camp Nou last year where they just laid down like they stood up to them and I and I was impressed by it and I thought Rabio and Verratti pretty much had the better, the best game uh, overall as far as the 11 on the on the pitch in terms of, like, individual play and just how they, 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 they didn't fold. They didn't play as if they were the lesser. Like, they, they stood up to him, and it was pretty much an even match up until, like, the, whatever, the 80th minute. Um, and to go back earlier before the game, the decision to bench Thiago Silva. Now, I, and then the article, not the article, the column we did uh, for our predictions for the match, I, I said, like, yeah, Thiago Silva is my favorite player, so I can be a little biased, but I, I am able to be objective at the same time, 
where, yeah, he's come up small in some of the bigger matches or whatever. But in that match, I thought it was it was it wasn't even about him being on the pitch in terms of like you know Kimpembe is going to come in, he's going to be as solid. But it was the residual effect of how it affects the locker room where this is your captain. You know, PSG has this kind of Brazilian tandem or whatever you want to call it. But this is your captain. This is, in my opinion, your best pure defender. You want to have him out there in what is the biggest match. You know what I mean? In in, in the club's um, history. It's like... It's like games five in the NBA Finals and Steve Kerr decides to bench uh, Draymond Green. Like, no, you're not doing it. This is your best defender. This is a guy you you and and the rest of the team wants to go out and battle with. And it's not a knock on Kipembe at all, but this is just what you want to beat. Real Madrid, yeah. they went out there with their best lineup, Ramos and Varane. You know, yeah. this, this is what you want to see. And I thought that it was... Um, even though on the pitch it didn't really have an effect because I thought Kipembe was solid. I thought he played better than Marquinhos, actually. Hmm. And obviously on the pitch, it didn't really have an effect. But the residual effect of what came out afterwards, how they said Neymar was mad, the, their spouses, Di Maria and Thiago Silva's spouses went on Instagram. Things like that could have been avoided. But for whatever reason, Emery did what he felt he needed to do. Yeah. Also, yeah, can I, I just uh, – hold on, sorry. Can I just catch you off on the Silva thing for a sec? Okay. I just want to, I got, I got two things on that really quick. Okay. I think there's two possible explanations. There's two possible explanations for why Emery did what he did. The first one is a more naive look at it, which is that Emery really believes, believed that Presnel Kimpembe gave him a better chance in that game. And the, and the justification that he would have would be Silva's more at this point in his career, a box defender. And he's a, he's still an exceptional box defender. But at this point in his career, can he go out in the, you know, outside the 18-yard box and be an effective one-on-one defender against incoming Real Madrid attack players? He can sit, he can sit in that box and deflect crosses and head crosses all day. But he's not... At, at this point, he's just not athletically strong enough to play outside the box, I think, effectively. And that, I think, would be Emery's um, explanation if you pressed him on it. Sure. Now, the second part, which I brought up on Twitter, is that there was a rumor that last year in the 6-1, Thiago Silva essentially took the team over and brought them all kind of into a low block against Emery's wishes against Barcelona. Now, the more cynical part of me would say that Emery remembers that and went, if I'm going to lose this game or if I'm going to go down in this game, I'm going to go down with my tactics. I'm going to go down with me sort of being the spearhead either way. And... Whether you think that's a justification for benching him or not, I think those are your two sort of options on that. Well, I mean, so my thing with Emery, and I saw a lot of people have that narrative or, or like, kind of viewed it from that optic of, like, he's really showing he has, like, the, the guts to make his own decisions. Yeah. Well, I, I look at it this way. Well, this is not what you've been doing your whole entire time here. So 
fight his opponent, I don't believe you. Like, I'm calling your bluff. You, you, you don't really... I, I feel like you're scrambling, right? Yeah. And, and and to me, that was later justified by how he how he decided to not counter Gianadine Zidane's substitution later on in the match. Yeah. So my thing was, like, yeah, if, you know, if, if you are going out on a limb and kind of showing your guts and saying, like, I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to live and die by this decision... As an opponent, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't believe you because you haven't been doing this all season. So that already is a sign of weakness to me. And and then that to me, that just went on to later in the match. You you didn't use all of your substitutions. Zidane sees that from the second half to the 80th minute, it's really P- advantage PSG. We're getting chances to score, but we're just not putting them away. So Zidane is like, okay, if they're not going to do it, all right, let me put in. Let me take out an important player in Casemiro in that team and Benzema. Let me put in some more attacking power and you counter with putting in Tomamunia and taking out Cavani. So it's like you didn't yeah. really think that out. And you're now now you're stuck with your decision, right? You made your decision and you made that bed. You got to lay in it. And I thought that's that was really the important part of why the game went the way it went. I thought the 3-1 scoreline was a little deceptive if you really watched the game. It, it wasn't that bad, but Marcelo's goal is what kind of changed the narrative going back to, to Paris in March. Otherwise, I thought it was a pretty even game. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think it goes back to that those changes in the second half. And I'll walk through each one of them. So, for the last six months or so, Emery has been testing this, Danny Alves at the right wing, Meunier at right back late in games uh, formation. He's done it at least six or seven times. So if you're Zidane, you have to know that's coming. And it did. Yeah. And that was the first substitution made. And then he brought on, then Zidane brought on Bale for Benzema. Now, in that time, when they brought on Alves, when they brought on Munier and put Alves farther up the pitch, I thought PSG got better. I thought they were better in their link-up play. I thought they were able to play possession a little bit better. They took Cavani off, which actually I thought made them better in possession because it allowed Mbappe to play centrally and he could link up better with Neymar. He wasn't necessarily just trying to play in the box. So I thought as a actual adjustment in the game i thought they got that right i was not i wasn't even mad at that one i thought that was a really smart decision the issue happened when zidane brings on lucas vasquez and um marcos marco asensio and he takes off isco and he takes off casemiro when he does that he's tipping his hand as to he's going for the game He's trying to turn the possession. He's trying to flip the game back because he, you know that Real has to score a couple more goals here. So he knows 1-1 is a bad result for Real Madrid in this situation. So he has to change the game. Now, at that point, why he, meaning Unai Emery, did not have Lasana Diara ready to immediately come on is just beyond my, it's beyond my comprehension. That was Emery's was mistake. Not, was he not warming up? Like, Here's what happened. And, uh, he was. Here's what I think happened. I think he had the plan to bring Diara on. And then once PSG started to really take control of the game inside of the 70th minute, 
I yeah. think he I think he changes. Now this is me just completely guessing. I think he changed his plan. I think he thought I can go win this game. Let me get Draxler ready, make a more offensive substitution. We're fine in the back. We can be okay. And I think he got caught. I think that's really what happened in that situation. And then once Real Madrid score, he already has Draxler ready to go. Draxler's already ready right next to him pretty much. Draxler immediately comes on. And at that point, you're saying we got to go get a goal rather than let's pack this thing in and try to hold them off for the next 10 minutes and leave 2-1. So all the things you can say about Unai Emery, and I think there's a lot of people who, because they want to kind of, we're a scapegoat society. We're a scapegoat world. We love scapegoats. So we're going to put this all on Unai Emery. Now, I think you can put some of these things on Emery. I think you can put the Silva-Kimpembe deal, because I think it, created an issue that they didn't necessarily have to have. Now, at that point, do you sit Marquinhos, or do you just play Silva and Marquinhos, which is a little less of a dynamic defensive pairing? That's more of a a subjective choice in that sense, where you could right. you can make an argument either way. The yeah. issue with Emery, and, you, and this was a stat I saw yesterday, in road, I think this was in games on the, I don't know if this was on just road games or games overall, Unai Emery's team has in the from the 75th to the 90th minute has given up 30 goals in his time. Think about that for a minute. That's 30 goals in the last 15 minutes of games. And I think that might be for games overall. Now, that's Emery's downfall. Emery's downfall is that with his teams, he is not able to get his team to function in the last 15 minutes of a game in a sort of calm, control the game, soak up the pressure, counter on occasion, because you're seeing this in the 81st, 82nd, 85th, 86th minute. You have Real Madrid just throwing people at PSG. And PSG are still trying to play the ball out of the back. Out of the back, oh my goodness. And it's like, are you out of your mind? It's like you, at that point, you have to understand that you have to defend there. Kick the ball as far as you can and set something up defensively. And that's where the problems happen with PSG too many times, which is there isn't a guy as the head coach, as the manager, who can go in and tell all of these players, for 15 minutes, you are going to defend. You are going to make the right decisions. You're going to kick the ball away. You're going to hit the ball out of bounds. You're going to make smart tackles. You're going to do the necessary little things that it takes to win a game at this level. And that's the Emory downfall. All the other stuff is more subjective decision-making. And it depends on the coach's style. Jose Mourinho doesn't bring on, doesn't play young players at all, really. You have uh, Pep Guardiola. He has his style. Unai Emery, well, I think he's done some great things for this team when it comes to opening them up a little bit more than when they were under Laurent Blanc. I think his genuine downfall is in the last 15 minutes of the game, when PSG need to be solid and fundamental, they can't do it. Yeah. And, and the use of substitution or the lack thereof. Like that, that to me is just logical coaching things where... You have three subs. 
times. Use them in an important match. Use them. Like it's, yeah. to me, that's that. I don't that one. I don't understand. I can I can defend them on other things, but that one is just like I don't understand it. Yeah. Now to 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 go back to the decision to bring in Munier or whatever. Now I was I was okay with with bringing in Munier and moving up Daniel Alves because obviously, like you said, it did create chances, and I thought we started kind of rolling there. But with with how Lachelso was playing, right? You could have took him out. My, what I'm getting to is, I thought Cavani had to stay in that match because he wasn't he wasn't really into the game in the first in the first half, and he wasn't getting the, the crosses, and they weren't really setting them up. But just like we saw today against Strasbourg, he grew into the game. As the game went along, he, it, it started happening for him. And I don't think Emery gave him an opportunity to really grow into that game. And maybe the pressure is a little bit more in the Champions League, sure. But as you saw, there was the cross from Yuri. It was a beautiful cross from Yuri where Mbappe couldn't get to it and Alves couldn't get to it. And I thought, all right, Cavani maybe could have got that. Yeah. And then there was another chance at the end of the match where I, I don't know who I think Neymar crosses into the box and there's no one in the box. Baratti's standing outside the box. He's the, he's the closest person to the ball. So it's like those opportunities were, were missed in the later stages of the match where Cavani could have made a difference. So I thought that yes, it was okay to bring in Munier, but I thought Cavani staying into the game, he would have been able to hold up the ball because Mbappe can't he he, he cannot hold the ball up right now. Right now at this stage of his career. He's still developing. I don't hmm. think he's a pure nine yet. And, you know, I, and, and there were times where he got the ball and he couldn't hold it up. He got it taken off, taken uh, from his feet, or he tried to dribble past somebody or whatever. But so that and that's, that was my thing. I, I, I disagree with taking off Cavani. I thought someone else could have come off. And after Asensio and Vasquez came on, it was like, okay, this is when you put the hour in. It's yeah. like the only thing you can do. Yeah. Bring a defensive midfielder in the game yeah. to lock this thing down, and he just doesn't do it. I don't get it. Yeah, and and I think that's that's a really valid argument. That That's a completely valid argument to make. And I think what you got by bringing Alves further up and letting him just kind of focus on coming into the link-up play you lose with the ability to sort of score from set pieces or score from corners and have Cavani making his really good runs. There's a trade-off for any substitution that you make. I think his argument, again, I'm not trying to apologize for the guy, but I do think it's fair to have a discussion where sort of we look at the both sides of it. Because I think too many times it's be- it becomes the roast of Unai Emery where it's just it's like his decision making isn't thought about it's more like he was wrong he was wrong he was wrong as opposed to well in this situation he may have been thinking something and I think he felt honestly that this was not a game that Cavani would get into in the sense that PSG just didn't have the crossing they weren't getting clear counter chances the space wasn't really there for him to create anything and they really had maybe, I think, two or three set pieces the entire match. I think we've been poor on set pieces all season. Oh, both sides. Unless it's Neymar scoring from the outside on a on a on a free kick, we got nothing in the box on set pieces. It's it's been really 
it's been not very good. And there's reasons for that. And part of that is because when your team is centered around Neymar, that some, again, what he gives you in a lot of other areas, I think sort of takes away in some areas. It, 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 it's a, it's a trade-off, but I also felt like, and let's get into this sort of quickly because I tend to not talk about officiating because I genuinely believe that no one no one outside of us gives any bit of a damn about what calls we got or didn't get. It's like talking to a wall. You know what I mean? It's like you, you can go, well, here are the four or five calls that we didn't get. Oh, yeah, well, here's the four or five calls that we didn't get. So what? And... I feel like you you just you you go you put yourself into a logic circle where you nobody can get anything done, which is why I sort of avoid talking about it. But I do believe that, and this is me not even complaining. I think that certain teams get champions calls. I mean, this has been true through the history of all sports. All sports, yeah. It's all sports. It's not just football. It's American football. It's basketball. It's the only real sport where it doesn't happen is baseball, and that's because it's kind of impossible to do it that way. Although you could say that Barry Bonds in his prime got a lot more ball calls on him than other players of his caliber. But besides that, like, did you really expect when Tony Kroos gets into the box, LaCelso puts his hand on him, and Kroos falls, did you expect any other call but a penalty? If you thought, oh, well, they're not going to call a penalty here, you're just absolutely not thinking. I mean, do you did you think during the game? Now, this is now let me preface this by saying I was not on Twitter, mm-hmm. which I think was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. I tried. I saw you tweet that. I tried to do that, and then like I just couldn't. Do it. I had to do it. I I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't sit through it. But I, I think if you watch the game without the without Twitter, I did not yeah. think anything about the officiating. I didn't think anything about it. Like, it didn't cross my mind until later on no, towards the next day. I got on Twitter and it's like, oh, we're talking about the refs. Yeah. I didn't think... Yeah, yeah. You get what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you t- speak to that if you can. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying because it's like you're looking at it from a pure football standpoint and then you get on, you know, you hear other people's opinions, you do things a different way. But, I mean, I thought, like I said, I don't think the officiating made – I mean, we can we can do that on every game. Like yeah. today I thought Neymar had a penalty that he didn't call on or whatever. Yeah. But it is it is like when you do sit back and look at it, it's like, yeah, this kind of happens to us more often than not. And it's usually against European, uh, Spain, you know, teams from Spain or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, and, it, and it's bla- and it's not stuff that it's fifty fifty. It's blatant stuff. Yeah. It's 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 Kipembe getting called on one, but uh, but uh, Modric or whatever, whoever I think it was Modric across didn't get called on uh from for diving or whatever. And and the clear are uh clear ball that hit Sergio Ramos in the hand. It's like, all right. This this is this is becoming too 
familiar. Yeah. Right? And, and as a fan, it gets annoying. It's like, all right, I don't want to be that guy who, who keeps blaming everything on the refs. But the ref was, was, was poor the whole game. And, I mean, there was stuff that could have went against us. I thought he could have justified getting Neymar out the game with some of the decisions he was making earlier. But it's just... It, and, and I was listening to uh, Ray Hudson on Bain Sports and some of the ESPN FC guys talk about it. Oh, we'll get we'll get they, there. Where they even mentioned that yeah, some of the calls didn't go PSG's way. They more favored Madrid, and I and I agree with it. But it's just like we we can't always use that excuse. But when it becomes blatant and it's it's in your face, you can't yeah. you can't you know. Yeah, and Unai Emery is is when Unai Emery talks about the refs, he's not doing it in a sincere way he i don't think he genuinely believes that the referees cost him the game i think he's he's providing cover for his and this is part of the reason i think emery's not the worst um coach of all time like i think a lot of psg fans do he's trying to give cover to his players as absurd as it might be i think he believes sort of let's you know i'm going to give reasons why we didn't win and i'm not going to throw my players under the bus and the way to do that is to blame the referee that's what a lot of coaches do. Jose Mourinho does it. Pep does it. They all do it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's nothing new or different. But also to sort of to spin away from that into what I thought was the positives. And I thought Adrian Rabio was – I thought I agree with you. I thought he was tremendous. I thought he was the best player for PSG by far. And I think he was really good. I thought Yuri played well enough to justify not playing Kurzawa. I know Kurzawa was, quote, hurt, unquote. But... <laughs> man, let me say, Yuri had a good game, man. And he was I fine. We lost because... And, I, and, and, I, and this is what I thought. I was like, man, the way... Like, think about all the... All the... Like, the first 15 minutes, everything was on Yuri's side. And just imagine Kazawa being in. He would have pulled it a long time ago. Yuri was fine. And that's yeah. all he had to be. He did not have to be great. He had to yeah. be fine. Now, uh, that brings me to another point. I thought when they made the switch with Alves and moved Alves up and put Meunier back, it worked until Real Madrid started basically countering exclusively down the left. And at that point, Thomas Monier got exposed. Yeah. The first goal, yeah, like the first goal, the first goal, yeah, the first goal started because Monier got caught up field. Yeah. The second goal, Monier was just kind of caught out. No, he was just there wasn't anything he was gonna do. But like, that was one of the drawbacks to that substitution, which was was that Alves was actually playing pretty darn well defensively, all things Gosh. considered. It was one of Alves' better games. I thought he was on the money. He was where he needed to be. He was linking up well. He was creating chances. But once they put Munier back there, Munier's just not good enough to play against that team. And especially Marcelo, who just ate him for lunch. Oh, man. Because you saw what Real Madrid did. When they brought on Benzema, when they brought off Benzema and put on Bale, they basically played Marcelo as a left back. Uh, not a left back, because they played him as a left winger. As a, as a winger, exactly. He, was a, he, he bumped up to the left wing. Ronaldo moved inside. Bale played on the right. Asensio and Vasquez basically played underneath both of them. And defensively, their center backs had to wing out a little bit to give a little more cover. And Modric and Kroos were able to play behind them. So it was like a 3-2-2-3. 
or it's like a three-two-two-three at that point, or something like that, or a three-two-fourth, whatever it is. But you saw that Marcelo basically became their left winger, and Munier couldn't handle him. And you if I had to, if, yeah, yeah, and I have to say the player of the game for me was Marcelo. I thought he was just absolutely tremendous. And as confident as I am that PSG can turn this around. Marcelo is going to be a problem, and they got to figure out a way to defend him, not for seventy or eighty minutes, but for the entirety of the game. Yeah. Even more yeah. than Ronaldo, even more yeah. than Isco, even more than Kroos, even more than Modric. I think PSG showed that there's sort of a stalemate in that situation. Their midfield wasn't overwhelmed. I thought offensively they'll be able to score two or three. I think in the return leg, I think they're more than capable of doing that. I'd actually be surprised if they didn't score at least three. But the issue is they can't account for Marcelo at all. They have no answer for him. Yeah, he's one of those guys, right? He's like LeBron. Like he's going to get his. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's scary because it's like and – then, and then you think about you, you thought he was hurt. I, mean, I don't know if he was bluffing or whatever happened in the first, you know, in the first couple of minutes. And then he just came on. And was an animal the time, and, and this is this is my only knock on Neymar, and I don't really, and, and I, I like to be fair. Yeah, go for it. I think, I think as great as he is, right? And he's what 25, 26, He has another level to go to, and and that's the difference between him, Messi, Ronaldo, and even Marcelo is that you saw that for the entire duration of the match. Marcelo was in full attack mode the whole time. And I think that's what Neymar has to get into. That's 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 the maturation level he has to go into where it's you know, all the, the, the fun stuff is cool, but you have to play this way. The, the way he played today against Strasbourg where he was in full attack mode the whole time. And in in, in, in when we talk about when we criticize Ronaldo, even though I thought like, you know, they're gonna the people are going to rave about him no matter what he does. It's as simple as a goal or whatever he does, you have to give credit for he was in the right position to make that to make that you know to, to make that goal that second goal. He yeah. did bury that free that that penalty that Ariola guessed right, and it was it was just too it was just too much for him. Well, and then these yeah. are the things that I, I I'd like to see from Neymar as he kind of grows into his prime. And, and settles into it is that you have to be the best player the whole time, not for spurts, not for half, the entire time. Because the thing that changes what's going to happen when we go back to, to Paris is that Marcelo goal. It's him not giving up and being resilient and just saying, yo, we're going to get another goal here. And he gets the goal, and that changes the entire narrative of this time. Yeah. So I think that's that, that's my knock on Neymar, and also I like to point out that he did stay on the pitch today and salute the fans. I think I didn't like that he was walking off the pitch and stuff like that, and I think that it was good to see him kind of stay on the pitch and salute the the, the ultras today. Yeah, he he will learn to do that. I, I think I think sometimes he does the he does the I'm a big star. I come out like five seconds after everybody else does, or right. the. Or the, you know, I'm, I'm a big enough star where I can kind of walk off the field at the end and not say hi to anybody and stuff. I think he has some of that in him. And I'm, I'm, I, I can't say that I'm fully objective when it comes to Neymar because I just think he's that type of star that PSG needed to, 
make this all work. I yeah. think with him, you have a chance to win the Champions League. Without a player like him, you really don't have a chance that or a good, very good one at all. But yes, and I think some of that comes from the fact that for years and years, Neymar was the... Um, Unless he was with Brazil, which is a different, I think it's a different type of, uh, it's a different type of deal, but he's always been sort of the, the assistant principal. He's not the principal. And now that he's the principal, it's a different job. And Neymar, I think, was used to all those years being able to just sort of play off of Messi and Messi could take the pressure off of him and Messi could make all the big decisions and he could dictate the tempo of the game and that's what Messi did so, does so well it's why he's one of the best that's ever played because he has that ability to just take a game and dictate it and move people where he needs to move them make the right type of pass in the right moment same thing with a guy like Marcelo where from a different position he's able to sort of dictate how Real Madrid get their chances and he, it's sort of the way Marcelo goes, the way um, Real Madrid goes, the way Messi goes, the way um, Barcelona go. Now, with Neymar, he's not used to being the executive, where he dictates the tempo and dictates the pace. He's learning how to do that. And you see it in some of these games where he's just on another level because he's getting there. But then you'll see a game like Real Madrid where he's dribbling into traffic and he's not sure exactly what pass to make and he's not sure where exactly to be because he's not used to being the executive on the field in such a big game yet. I think he'll have a better game at home in the return leg. Will it be enough? I'm not sure. But it's part of the reason he left Barcelona is because he has to, if he wants to be what he wants to be, he's got to learn how to do what Messi and Marcelo do. Right, this is part of the and for, I understand yeah. that. And, is, for, yeah. and to an extent, what Bayern Munich do, and although Bayern sort of do it more as a collective than as anything else, I think yeah. you get the idea. Anything else you want to touch on with this game before I go into um, what I'm about to go into? Um... No, I think, yeah, I think it is. We've kind of touched on everything. Uh, the, the media is going to criticize Neymar and all that stuff. Like, we, I think we, we're used to that by now. Yeah. So, so the, most of it is bullshit. People looking at it from, uh, uh, you know, different lens or whatever. But, yeah, I think we yeah. pretty much covered this. Yeah, and I'm just going to get into it because, look, I've been talking about this and – I think at times I'm a little overbearing about it, but I I like to make the point because I feel like we as a fan site are like the only people in the English language who speak primarily in the English language, who write about the team primarily in the English language. We are the only people who are actually genuinely objective about the team week about this team. And that should not be. It should that should not happen because we are a fan site. We do not get paid to do this. We are fans of the team. We are not journalists. But I feel like journalists, especially in the English speaking media, have completely when it comes to this topic and many others, 
have completely abdicated their journalistic integrity. I honestly believe that. And I have my reasons why, and I kind of wanted to lay them out. Now, I understand football and soccer culture to an extent. And I get that a lot of the times it's about hyperbole. It's about the majesty of everything. It's about saying this is the greatest or this is the worst or who's moving where and transfer rumors and all this type of gobbledygook and nonsense that takes the place of actually talking about the actual game. And I understand that in a media that's that has to generate 24-7 content where we cannot go one day without writing an article. Like, no one can just go one day without writing something. You have to write something every day. So what you get is this sort of National Enquirer type of nonsense, this National Enquirer type of coverage where... PSG are not covered based on their merit. They're covered based on a whole bunch of factors, which again I'll get into. But and I and I and I want your opinion on this as we go along too. So feel free to jump in whenever you feel like you want to, to add something or contradict something I say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much with you. Go yeah. Ahead. But I is PNFC. Are they what are they supposed to be? Because I've watched ESPN FC, the television show, for a while, and I've stopped watching it because it's just insufferable. But what are you supposed to be? Is ESPN FC a journalistic, straightforward um, website that covers all of professional soccer, professional football, and covers it in a way that, let's say, the let's say the way ESPN covers any other sport or is it first take is it that horrible undisputed show with Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp what is it and this isn't just the television show this is the the meat this is the print side of it too there's literally an article that someone took time to write about how Neymar how someone in the Brazilian media criticized Neymar and Neymar's father came to his defense on Instagram. That was an actual article that somebody wrote. <laughs> and I'm like going to myself and it's like, dude, that's what Deadspin's for. That's what that's what gossip columns are for. That is not news. And you go through it and it's like the, the typical ESPN FC show will be two minutes of the highlights and then 10 minutes of these old, these players, these older players who believe in football being a certain type of way played by, and I'm sorry to say this, a certain type of player. I think you know what I mean. And it's like they see Neymar and they see, let me put it this way. They see Neymar the same way Laura Ingram sees LeBron James. <laughs> that's a good one. That's no, that's, that's what it is though. Cool. It's like who's the who's this who's this guy dribbling all over the place and dancing right. with a shoe on his head? Why isn't he putting in a good proper cross? Yeah. Like that's what they want. They want a guy that's gonna put his head down and challenge the ball 
and hit good, nice little crosses to the to the to the striker. They see it a certain way, and this Neymar guy, especially since he now is playing for this club that they don't understand, that they don't understand the culture of, that they don't understand where they're coming from, and that this club does have a fan base. So you get the likes of Craig Burley and Stevie Nichol who just don't get it. They don't get that there are millions and millions of people that when they see Neymar, they don't see selfish, entitled, obnoxious, rude. They see the one of the best players and most entertaining players on the planet. And they like when he does that stuff because for the most part, it helps his team win the game. And for the most part... The guy's been a model citizen. I don't ever remember him being arrested. I don't remember him ever being charged with any kind of drug possessions or violent crimes. I don't remember him ever cursing or calling out his teammates in the paper. I don't remember any of that stuff. I mean, not that it matters, but the guy's like a devout Christian, for God's sake. And here's the, and here's this media including guys like Dan Thomas of ESPN with his shit-eating grin, trying to portray Neymar as this snidely whiplash, evil 1920s villain character that's tying women to railroad tracks. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And I'm sorry because I like him a lot, but Jonathan Johnson at times goes along with this stuff too. And it's like, Criticize the guy for playing on the field. I'm fine with that because football is subjective. But it gets to the point where all of these articles about Neymar, oh, he didn't try in this game, or oh, this and oh, that, or oh, and we'll get to more stuff. It's not just the Neymar stuff, but it's it, it's this in, partic- this in particular upsets me because it's like, do we have anything better to do than to try to create this cartoon villain out of this guy who, before every game, is, you know, having snapping Instagram photos with all the players. He's trying to build friendships. Generally, the guy seems like a nice guy. And there really hasn't been anybody that contradicts that otherwise. But there's this other culture, there's this, like, small minority that controls the majority of the English-speaking media that wants to portray him in a certain way. And that, to me, is an abdication of journalistic integrity. Because you saw the, the stuff after the game on Wednesday. It's like PSG capitulated and PSG are, you know, they, they're over. It's like yeah. PSG are over. And it's like this is going to take more than one year, more than likely. They still have to, to reshape the team in certain ways. To try to sort of treat this like it's some sort of validation that PSG as a concept is somehow invalid. And they want to so invalidate it. Because again, it goes towards everything that, especially in the English-speaking media, they're against. They're against the freedom of that kind of expression on the pitch players having a lot of say in the locker room, uh, treating players as being more as being bigger than the team, all these things that PSG represent. And whether you like them or not, that's completely up to you on a personal level. 
But when we have that guy, I think his name is James Tyler, who is the editor of ESPN FC, basically cheerleading the fact that Neymar is getting hacked by the Real Madrid players. You are the editor of a major sports website that covers a sport like a journalist as an editor you have to have the most integrity not the least craig burley can go on there and tell neymar to pull his pants up all he wants you know what i won't watch it but there are people that will but when you're the fucking editor of a website and that's how you when you describe psg losing as poetic justice there's something wrong with you there's something wrong with your integrity and there's something wrong with the way you view the game. And that to me is the unacceptable part. I want to get your thoughts on this too, but just a break from me talking, anything you want to kind of add to what I'm throwing out there. Well, I, I completely agree with you and I see it all the time. Right. But it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta realize what perspective that the, it's not even, it's not even a perspective. It's, it's a bubble that these people live in, right? So, one thing, first thing, Neymar and PSG, it's kind of like the perfect marriage because kind of they kind of go hand in hand in terms of how Neymar individual, individually as a player is viewed and how PSG as a team and its history is viewed as right now in, in this time, they're disrupting European football or they're disrupting soccer in the football world or all whatever. And then... You look at these pundits, right, on ESPN, FC, whatever. Most of them played in the Premier League, right? Yeah. That's, 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 that's simply what it comes down to, right? Just how most Premier League fans, when they talk about League uh, they call it the Farmers League. They don't even watch League uh. They don't even, the only time they see League uh is through the little clips that are on Twitter or highlight reels. They don't watch League uh. So that alone, me, like, I don't, I'm not, whatever you're saying is null and void. Like, you, you don't even matter because you're not, you're not giving it from a fair, you're not looking at it from a fair perspective and you're not being critical. You're just being idiotic, pretty much. And, and it also ties back into, like, how in America, baseball is like this. I thought, I think you mentioned this, baseball, golf. These are sports that are supposed to be played with grace, and you're supposed to be perfect. You're supposed to do this. We don't do it this way. We do it this way. That that seems out the way. This 2018. There's a new era of of a way to play, and Neymar is that player. He's representing the entire generation. After Messi and Ronaldo, there's not going to be a lot of players who are going to play that way. They're going to play like Neymar, right? Like he's the He's the one stepping over the hill, pretty much going over the hill for the next generation of football players to come. And they're not going to be able to come to grips with it. They're stubborn and content in their ways of thinking. And I, I really think it's insulting when Craig Burley says Neymar shouldn't be dancing and doing all this stuff for his fans. So I think that's insulting to a human being, to a, to another grown man. Like It's his heritage. Yeah, it's, his, like, it's his heritage. That's, that's well, part of being Brazilian. Yeah. Why does that bother you so much, right? Like, it's, 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 like, the reason he is celebrating is because he scored a goal, yeah. right? Like, that's the entire thing of, of, of all of this. So, it's, 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 it's nonsense. Um, but like I said, I think it, Neymar is a player that, like, he's, he's this superstar, and he's like almost the LeBron 
of of soccer where he's he's the first superstar in this social media age yeah. where he's have he's he's like people are giving opinions twenty four seven online and he's dealing with that. and like you pointed I think the the thing you pointed out is how he doesn't get in trouble he doesn't do stupid things anything bad you hear about him is a rumor or something you know something that somebody is is thinking in their mind of whatever narrative they already have of him it's not not a fair criticism so i think so i i, I see all the stuff and it's just like man like nobody's gonna be <laughs> nobody's gonna keep it real here we're gonna we're just gonna go off of narrative you all played in the premier league so you have your little sweet little well well put together league or whatever you, however you perceive it and Neymar's over here styling on people. This is fun for the kids, like you said. This is fun to see. This is what we want to see. We don't want to see a bunch of robots out there. We want to see them have fun and produce. And that, and that's all it's about. And I think when you try, when you start going into people's character, it's, it's, it, there's no integrity in the journalism anymore. This is this is your personal vendetta. This is this is something personal. It's no longer journalism. Yeah. So, and and there's yeah, just yeah. You. And there's just the the jubilation and joy when PSG lose. And it's like, oh, yeah. dude, oh, yeah. they're a football team. This isn't this isn't the you know this isn't whatever the they called Darth Vader's side in Star Wars. Yeah. That, that, it, it feels like that. It feels like they've set up this epic struggle between pure football, you know, the Harry Kane style of football, the Wayne Rooney style of football. Notice a pattern I'm starting to set up here. The Olivier Giroud style of football. Uh, how many more white guys can I name? Um, <laughs> and what guys like Neymar do? Yeah. And the fact, again, it's all—it's that setup. And I'm not overtly saying that they're being racist, but that's part of the culture. It's been that way in sports for hundreds and yeah, for, for hundreds of years. It was that way when Jack Johnson was knocking people out a hundred years ago. And they were like, and and I'll tell you, Jack Johnson was knocking people out. And you know what they kept saying about him? They said he was lazy. They said he was, you know, they said he was a braggart. But the guy beat the crap out of people for seven years. Nobody touched him for seven years. And then finally, when someone beat him, and it was when he was way past his prime, everyone celebrated like they'd accomplished something. Yeah. That's it, it, just as a history lesson. That's where we got the term "Great White Hope," because when they tried to find any white guy with a pulse and two legs and two fists that could knock out Jack Johnson, and he kept knocking them out, that's what they called them. And it sets this thing up where PSG, because, and I'm saying this on multiple levels, I'm talking about they don't like that Neymar is bringing his sort of millennial Brazilian style into the into the world game. They don't like that Neymar sorry, they don't like that PSG are owned by Qatar. Right. And there are very few people in PSG in the management of the actual day to day operations of the club that are actually Qatari. <laughs> but like the one Qatari guy is Kalifi. They're the money people. They they're most of the people that run PSG are French. And it's like this thing of when PSG lose, it's this statement against Qatar and slave labor. And it just gets to the point where it goes beyond just being a game and it becomes something that's not journalism. They're, PSG are actually a fun team to watch. Yeah. 
You know, they're not perfect, but they got a fan base and a fan base that's willing to root them on, a fan base that's growing in this country. I've seen more... I've seen more PSG jerseys this year than I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. And that's, Absolutely. And that's due to partly due to Neymar, and it's to the growth of the brand. And I feel like, especially the American soccer media, and this is where I go to like Fox Soccer and stuff, I felt like they were just... the, the And I don't know how, how much you listen to the announcers in that game. I felt like it was just verbal fellatio. The whole game. It's just like when Ronaldo and Marcelo scored, it's like this grand overture to the wonderment of Real Madrid. We vanquished the Nazis. It's it's, it's, it's victory in Europe day. Everybody go out and throw a parade. It certainly had that connotation. It absolutely did. And that's sort of the... And then you talk about Deadspin, talking about how PSG blow it again. I think the term they use is bum ass. Which is like, they were bum-ass enough to stalemate Real Madrid for the first 82 minutes of the fucking game. And then they gave up two late goals. And yes, there are problems with PSG, as we've spent the last 40 minutes talking about. I don't think we've shied away from it. And quite frankly, until Deadspin figures out a way to do what Guillaume just did and do that hour and 15 minutes on guitar, you know, when he actually interviews people who know about the topic and does actual research rather than just throwing around caustic titles, then we got something. But until then, they need to sit down. They need to sit down. So I don't know if you have anything to say off of that. I think I've pretty much said my piece on that. I I feel like it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear at that point. Again, I think if we're the ones that are doing the it's 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 a screwed up media when we're the ones that are having to do the honest look at Qatar. If we're the ones doing that, there's a problem. As great as it was. Yeah. So I think we pretty much covered it all. Um, PSG got a well-deserved break before they play two intense back to back games against OM. I think they need to win them both. They're both at home. Drawing or losing against Marseille at home is unacceptable. I think especially a big rival, the crowd's going to be up for it. If PSG somehow falls short in the Champions League, they're going to have to win all the French competitions. Emery will get fired either way. But I, I generally believe that winning this year in France is harder than it's ever been. And I think PSG have had an absolutely historical league on run. So we'll see if they can keep that going. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, uh, PSG Talking. They will have their response to the first leg against Real Madrid probably sometime in the middle of the week. 
make sure to visit our Patreon page and our website, psgtalk.com. We will have articles coming up shortly, probably based on this tie. I'll throw something up there. John, you have anything to plug before we get going today? Uh, not, I'm, I'm working on some things. Um, I'm, I'm doing a piece, actually, not not football or sports related. Kind of, uh, we, we mentioned it a little bit talking about Neymar, where I'm 25 years old, uh, and we're, we're considered millennials, but I think there is like two different sectors in, 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 in the millennial age range, and where there's like a mature millennial, and then there's the the, the other ones who are out here eating Tide Pods and doing stupid stuff. Yeah. And and I just kind of want to kind of explore that. And I've been working on it for a month now. And I'm, so that's something I'm working on. Then I'm going to I'm gonna do a piece for, for PSG, the, uh, a player spotlight probably here shortly. So this is still, just still working and uh, something should be up here shortly. Still grinding. That's what I like. Yeah. All right, man. Um, thank you very much. Uh, for John Alonghi, this has been... PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon. Au revoir for now.